Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he is the bracketologist for ESPN, ESPN.com, and more. Joe Lenardi joins us now. Hello, Joe. How you doing? Fellas. Great to great to be on. So I'm I'm getting people saying be happy. You know IU with that win over Purdue. Uh, Purdue obviously still around. I'm assuming the one line as far as your bracketology is concerned. Where do you have the Boilermakers as of this date? Yeah, they're going to be a, still a one in tomorrow's uh, full bracket update. But they're running out of wiggle room. Uh, and, and had Texas won at Baylor on Saturday, uh, they would have uh, dropped down to a two at this point. Uh, but but now it's UCLA in the five hole overall, and I couldn't I couldn't quite see the wins on UCLA's resume to warrant moving ahead of the Boilers at this point. But I- interestingly, I, I would say. You know, I when when this kind of thing happens, I I think I want to ask fans like, would you rather be a one say in the West or a two closer to home, right? Particularly if it ended up being Louisville, right? Uh, you, you know, you got to, you know, if you project out to the Elite Eight and the ones playing the two, you could argue what difference does it make. Uh, so, you know, I just tossed that out there. No, well, and, and listen, we can further, because I, I had a, a similar thought, and uh, Boilermaker fans, Joe, have brought this up to me as well, because the way that you put it, it, it almost seems like a win-win position the Boilermakers are in, even though they're a team that has lost three or four. But here's a wrinkle. And obviously, you know, Louisville, I, I, I don't know how far uh, Kansas City is, Uh that would be the next closest, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the, the rule is the highest rated one seed, which at the moment is Alabama, and the highest rated two, uh, which would be Purdue in our hypothetical here, can't be in the same region. Right. So they couldn't, if, if it's one and five overall, they couldn't be in the South together. They'd actually have to slide to six. <laughs> and 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 then they and then they could get it. So Joe Lenardi joins us, the bracketologist from ESPN. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You had mentioned that the Boilermaker's still a one seed when your brand new brackets come out tomorrow. How would they have to finish the season again? Hypothetically, you got two regular season games, Big Ten Conference tournament. How, in your eyes, would they have to finish the season? I know that's dependent upon those around them as well, but just sure. the Boilermakers, Joe, doing their own work. How would they need to finish to maintain on that one line? I think three more wins whenever they come would be enough for them not to drop. Uh, Somebody would have to do a fair amount to pass them 
point. Four more wins would, I think, guarantee a one seed for Purdue. Meantime, Joe, IU 20 and 9 overall, 11 and 7 in what is a jumbled up seven loss line and eight loss line, uh, for that matter, in the Big Ten. Uh, when these brackets come out, unveiled, all fresh and new tomorrow, where do you have the Hoosiers? Hoosiers will be the uh, uh, number 13 overall team on the board. So that's good for a high four seed. And because Purdue is not ahead of them in the South, uh, they will be in that uh, Louisville path. Oh, I love it. Not terrible. Columbus, Louisville. Here's a hypothetical for you right here, too, to – to maintain what what would IU have to do with the two regular season games, Big Ten tournament, to give themselves an opportunity to end up in Louisville, Joe? A little less in their control, uh, right. because the further you get down the seeds, the more it has to do with the teams around you. Uh, you, you know, because there are other schools that 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 are hoping, you know, for whom Louisville would be the natural spot, like. Tennessee, or Xavier, uh, or some of the Big 12 schools, because they can't all fit in the Kansas City region. So um, I, I would say, as if I were an IU fan, I'd be rooting more to get to Columbus and then take my chances after that. That makes sense. Uh, Joe Lenardi of ESPN. The I bra- try to make sense. No, I'm glad you. I'm glad you do because they get three hours of nonsensical information from me daily here. So you're a, a bright, well, shining that's what light. My children say. You know, so. <laughs> I get it. Joe, Joe Lenardi joins us. Uh, the Big Ten, I mentioned this jumble mess with seven losses and eight losses within conference play. Um, how how odd has it been to try to measure each and every week, bracketology-wise, the Big Ten Conference, Joe? Well, Purdue and Indiana have been easy. The, 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 the collection of five or six teams, let me think, Michigan State, Maryland, Iowa, Illinois, Rutgers, they've been in a cluster. I guess Northwestern has separated a little bit. I should put them in the easy category. But the others, I mean, especially Iowa, Illinois, Rutgers, NC State. So that's four teams that on my board right now are between 31 and 36. So that creates both uh, a seeding difficulty and a bracketing difficulty because if you think about it if you're eights and nines and you're in the same league you can't play each other right and all the eights play all the nines that's kind of how seeding works yeah so it 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 results in sometimes having to move a team drop a team a seed line that they don't deserve uh it just to follow the bracketing rules and avoid you know regular season rematches so uh I, for one, am rooting for a little separation in the Big Ten, uh, knowing full well that my wishes on such things are uh, rarely granted. Jeff <laughs> Lenardi joins us. So Dusty Mays, the head coach of Florida Atlantic, he's a really good hometown friend of mine. Do, does Florida Atlantic, do the Owls get in um, right now with an at-large, or do they need to win their conference tournament as it stands? I would put them in. Uh, if I were one of the 12 voters. Well, that makes you a good man to me, Joe. Well done. Well, great. 
great and the dusty. I hope I, I generally make it a rule of thumb to, uh, to 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 be nice to schools uh, that are in better climates than where I live. Right. In the hope that you know there'll there'll be a you know a, a post election golf invitation or some silliness. <laughs> but I think if they reach the final in Conference USA, maybe even the right semifinal opponent. That that they'll be okay, uh, and and that's with all of the inherent biases that seem to work against mid majors in in the in the, in the modern game and in the modern selection and seeding process. I I think they've done enough. Is that the lone mid major at large? Uh. Well, I, I mean, St. Mary's is absolutely a mid-major, but they're a lock. Right. Uh, so so the, the only one that's a lock among those who you would think about in that category this year. You know, Charleston is not as strong a profile as FAU. Uh, I would say next up after them is probably Oral Roberts, uh, 27-4. and 4. Uh 18 and 0 undefeated in their league, uh, but 22 of the 27 wins are quad four or division two. So I wouldn't want to be Oral Roberts if they lose in the Summit League. So Joe Lenardi and St. Mary's. It's funny how you you think now because Gonzaga is the WCC, the outright champions again, knocking off St. Mary's over the weekend. Because Gonzaga is far from what I view as a mid major. There's no doubt within their own conference, St. Mary's is. But St. Mary's is now historically becoming one of those teams that we kind of view as no longer with Randy Bennett as the head coach, a mid major too. But you're absolutely right. Well, yeah. So I mean, St. Mary's is actually the one seed. They 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 got the tiebreaker. Uh, they split in the regular season. The reason I I, I call mid major for St. Mary, you know, I've been to both schools, and yeah, seen both operations. Yeah, that's like, exactly how they should be described. Yeah, at least size wise. Like, like Gonzaga has their own plane. <laughs> so, like, I think in 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 my book. That takes them out of the mid-major category. Good call, right there. Joe Lenardi of ESPN joins us. Who's on bubble watch right now, Joe? Wow. A uh, couple teams in the Big 12 tonight. Uh, West Virginia, one of the last four in. They're playing on the road at Iowa State. Uh, the last team in the field right now, Oklahoma State. They are playing tonight. Also at home against Baylor. And, you know, for all the talk of, oh, my gosh, all, not, all 10 or maybe nine Big 12 teams are going to get in, what happens every year, every year, not occasionally, Every year, more teams on the bubble are playing their way out at the end. And there's a very simple reason for that. If they were really consistent, they wouldn't be on the bubble to begin with. So it's just, it's a logic problem in some respects. And when you lump teams together from the same league on the bubble and they have to play one another, you you know, that means there's always a loser when those teams take the court. I don't know if you, you have, and I'll let you go right after this question. Joe Lenardi joins us, but who, who's made the most strides from place to place to where they are on the higher portion of their season within your bracket in the past month or less? Who's been the most impressive to you over that time span? 
I think I would go with Marquette. Uh, Here's a team that was thought to be a bubble team at best at the start of the year. And they've got, you know, a two-game lead in the Big East. They only need one more win to clinch the top seed, and they're on the three line with 10 quad one and uh, quad one and quad two wins. Uh, They've had an extraordinary year relative to expectation. Yeah, still a lot of work to do as well. But, man, what a uh, – yeah, I, I mentioned this, too. Like, the Big Ten, as I mentioned to you, Joe, a little bit earlier, is, yeah, God, so many seven- and eight-loss teams. I mean, there's like a log jam in that area, and that's kind of how I consider – They also play 20 games. Yeah, now. exactly. That's how I consider the, the – really, the landscape nationwide in college basketball. I mean, there's just not a great deal. And even with the two losses, I don't feel there's a great deal of, of at least eyeball separation from Houston to really anybody else. It seems as wide open as we've seen it in a while, unless I'm just living in the moment, Joe. I, I, I think two weeks from now, though, if, if I have to, you know, when we're holding that empty bracket in our hands, there's a team right now that's 15-5 and five just in quad one, and that's Kansas, and no one is close. No one else is in, 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 in double figures, although Baylor can get there tonight. Uh, I have a hard time thinking at the end of the day that Kansas isn't going to be number one overall defending its championship. Mm. So Joe Lenardi of ESPN with the Bracketology. What are we now? Less than two weeks away from Selection Sunday. It goes so yes, quickly. We'll have, it, we'll have it in our hand two weeks from right now. We'll have that perfect bracket and – because no one has played yet, and we'll, we will all think we're the smartest person in college basketball. I'll tell you what, Joe. I'm texting Dusty May right now and saying, um, Joe has you in, so if he's in and around the Boca Raton area at some point after the season, <laughs> golf needs to happen, okay? <laughs> yeah, that that works. Or, you know, he, he, what, what they need to do next is build their non-conference schedule so that going forward – uh, they, they don't have to worry about being on the bubble. So yeah. you tell them to call me. I'll help them with that. Yeah, I, th- I think that that in the past has been easier said than done. But oh, my God, yeah. of course it is. Yeah. You have to you have to be creative. You do, buddy. Hey, Joe, I appreciate like, you, man. Always great information like, this time of year. Like, St. Mary's is number seven in the net. Yeah, and well, I mean, everybody kind of – you has you get I mean when you think about it, Randy Bennett has been how long has at St. Mary's and Mark Few how long at Gonzaga? That is yeah, right. those are so exceptions to any rule as far yeah. as what is described and as I a mid major. You know what? And I mean, look, FAU is nineteenth. Like that's worthy of a parade. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt, Joe. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. All right, thanks. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline, the voice of the Boilermakers, who, by the way, also lives in and around Zionsville. It's Rob Blackman. Hello, Rob. 
I've never seen Carson Wentz, however, believe it or not. Never at the grocery store or the local fine restaurants we have here. I've never run into Carson, believe it or not. I got some. I'm a man that's out and about. I know you're a man. You are a man about town up there. You keep everything hopping. I got a heads up from a listener who had just been in the Meyer location up in Mm -hmm. Zionsville, Whitestown, whatever that area is right there, and had uh, run into Carson Wentz right there. What's that? Let me stop you now. Yeah. Zionsville folks, Zionsville folks now, Zionsville, Whitestown, those are two separate towns. Okay. Will they get mad? Yes, they get mad if you start trying to, you know, lump the two of us in together. So the Meyer is in Whitestown. Okay. Not in Zionsville. It was the Whitestown Meyer where evidently Carson Wentz had been seen. (laughs) <laughs> I guess it's like Noblesville and Fishers. It was the same oh, yeah. way. Noblesville same and way. Fishers. Yes. We, we, there is a distinct line drawn between the two. So make sure you do not make that mistake again. I'm just trying to help you here. Um, I appreciate that. I don't want to get any negativity thrown my way. There's enough the way that it is. So if you can help me <laughs> sidestep any possible landmines, I appreciate that. Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilermakers. Did it, in your opinion, being there front and center calling that game, did it just come down to one team made shots, in this case IU on the road, and Purdue at home other than Zach Eady didn't? Oh, I would say that was a part of it, but I think the bigger part of it, John, was the the show that uh, Jalen Hood Shafino put on. I mean, that is one of the all-time great performances I've ever seen from an opponent at Maggie Arena. Uh, I was thinking about this uh, Saturday night after the game. Actually, here's, so here was my schedule. Saturday night when I came was over, I was Cincinnati because my daughter was in a, a soccer game the next morning I didn't want to miss. So I had a whole lot of time to sit and think and con- contemplate on the drive to Cincinnati. Right. And I, and I could only think of two players – at least in players, I'm talking about a Big Ten player or a player from a from a big time high major team that came into Mackey Arena and just dominated us the way he did. Uh, Jalen Hutchinson did. Um, I was thinking of Evan Turner in 2010 with Ohio State for Purdue fans. You remember that's the game Robbie Hummel scored I think 29 in the first half, but Evan Turner ended up with 32 and Ohio State won the game and he was. He was unstoppable. And then I got to think about Nate Mason. Uh, I think it was in 2017 when Minnesota beat Purdue at Mackey. Nate Mason had like 30 points, 10 or 11 assists, was just unstoppable. And those are the only two guys I could think of, John, from, again, from a high major school, significant, where it's a big game. It really yeah. means something. You know, the crowd's rocking and just completely silenced the Mackey Arena crowd. It rarely happens, but Jalen Huchifino did that. His performance on Saturday night was one for the ages, unfortunately for the Purdue fans. But, um, I mean, 35 points, and it you just felt like every time he had the ball in his hands, especially in the second half, that he was going to either score or he was going to set up a teammate to score and that he was not going to make a mistake. Uh, that's just how perfect he was on Saturday. So, Yes, Purdue should have made some more shots. I mean, five of 23, but if we're being realistic here, you know, two of those were made in the last minute when it was desperation time. So, yeah. really, John, it was more like three of 21. I mean, you just can't – you cannot shoot like that at home against the 17th-ranked team in the country and expect to win. And you sure as heck can't expect to win when the other team has a guy playing at the level that Jalen Huchifino was. That was, again, one of the all-time great performances from an opponent at Mackey Arena that I've, I've seen in my 18 years, that's for sure. Rarely do we see somebody put up those type of numbers with the Johnny Midrange game, too, which has been all but forgotten in this era of basketball. That's, to me, what made it even more compelling Saturday night. 
I could not agree with you more. And you think about, and you know this, John, because I know you follow basketball very closely. The analytics say that that's exactly what you want the opponent to do. You want them to take mid-range jump shots. The, the, the analytics say you cannot win games if that is where the bulk of your offense is coming from. But that's where the bulk of Indiana's offense came from. You know, Purdue plays that drop coverage on the high ball screen. That's Purdue's done it like that for years because you are, you're inviting the opponent to shoot mid-range jump shots. Again, that's what the analytics tell you defensively you want the opponent to do. And so that's exactly what Purdue is doing. And Jalen Uchefino just made Purdue pay every single time. And you're right, like 12 to 16, 18 feet, man, he uh, he was unbelievably good. And uh, tip of the cap to him, man, because for a true freshman to do that at Mackey Arena in that atmosphere, that was, that was something to see. Yeah, I mentioned, too, a little bit earlier, Rob, that that was an extra pass performance. And I thought it was all of the IU players with that extra pass. But certainly once he got going, and it was obviously accounting for him and closing out hard, as hard as you can, trying to stay in front of him. When he was making that extra pass, it seemed like everybody offensively was. And so many different times, IU found guys with wide-open looks by virtue of that. Yeah, and you saw what happened there in the second half. You know, Purdue finally stopped doubling in the post because – Trace Jackson Davis wasn't really the guy hurting Purdue, at least scoring the ball. And Purdue had to pay more attention to Jalen Huchifino, so they began offering more help on him on the drive, which, as you said, extra pass, man. He always, always, it seemed, found the open shooter, you know, whoever that was, whether it was Cop or uh, whomever. Uh, I mean, he, he found the open guy, and they made Purdue pay every single time, and just, I'm telling you, just want to, and I, I was obviously talking about the scoring with Jalen Hitchfino and the 35 points, but I, I'm with you. The, the passing, the court vision, the getting teammates involved, Galloway, same thing, finding Galloway for open threes. I mean, I, I, I don't know if he played a perfect game, but he was pretty damn near perfect. Thought he, uh, I, you call it, he played with his hair on fire, but it was a controlled hair on fire type of game, really on both ends. Yeah, and uh, look, I, I know I'm sure the Purdue fans are not happy with me just sitting here talking glowingly <laughs> about how good an Indiana player was, but he was. Well, I mean, I've asked the questions angled that way, so it's not quite your fault. It's mine. And uh, you know, for Purdue fans, look, if we're going to be fair here, you know, Carson Edwards had a few games like that in his time here at Purdue, uh, where he got hot and simply could not miss and made every single play the right play. Um, so it's in, it's happened on the road. I remember Carson scored 40 at Illinois uh, to beat Illinois in a game in which, quite frankly, Illinois was the better team. But but Carson Edwards was was unstoppable that day. So it's not like Purdue fans. We haven't seen it before with guys wearing a Purdue uniform. It just happened Saturday night. We saw it with a guy wearing the uh, the opponent's uniform, and that and that was Jalen Hutchfino. He again, he was fantastic. Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilermakers, with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I can't remember if there has ever been a time in recent history I've seen Purdue out rebound its opponent at Mackey by sixteen and still lose. And then this maybe even meant more to me than that. 21 offensive rebounds. And normally, what I'm thinking about here, you get an offensive rebound, you get a kick out, and you get a jump shooter stepping in to a jump shot, which at that level is normally a layup. But Purdue shooting 35% after getting 21 offensive rebounds, those are some unheard of numbers right there. John, out-rebound them by 16, only have two more turnovers than Indiana. So that means Purdue had 14 extra possessions 
and still lost by eight and could have lost by 15 or 16, quite frankly. Uh, yes, those are numbers that do not make sense. But if, you, if you're not shooting the ball well, I mean, forget about it. Against a high-quality opponent, um, if you're going to be three of 21 from three, uh, again, not counting those last two in the final 60 seconds, you're going to have a very difficult time winning. Uh, and it's not like, you know, Purdue wasn't doing what they wanted inside. Zach Eady at, what, 26 and 16? He, he was his usual good self, but he just had no help from a perimeter shooting standpoint. You, you As a Purdue fan, right, you just hope that, that this is a one-off thing and, and you can get this thing corrected. Just, the, you know, the game prior at Mackey Arena against Ohio State, Purdue was, whatever it was, 43 or 44% from three. Um so you hope it's an outlier. Uh, I don't know. You, what you certainly also hope is carry into the month of March because if you're 20, it's going to be a pretty good hey, hey, Rob, hold on one second. Your phone is kind of breaking up. So with whatever you were doing, maybe five minutes prior, try to stand right there and not move for the next five oh, minutes. Yeah. Are you up to the task? I've been I've been sitting on my butt in the same seat here. That's problem. weird. See, what is this? Is this White's? Is this Whitestown or is this Zionsville cellular service you're getting here? I will move though. Hopefully, that'll help. You. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, the final two regular season games for the Boilers, and you know, three out of four of the last games they have lost. Uh, any reason? I'm not going to say panic. Any any red flags being waved right now? In your opinion, with this team? I don't think so. Only because Purdue's consistently been pretty good in a number of areas all year long. Uh, I thought I thought Matt Painter said it best. On uh, in the post game show or post game press conference on Saturday, when he's like, "We're doing a lot of things well. We just need to do them better. Right? We're just, we're just not just areas of our game. There's no. I guess what I'm saying is there's no real flaw in this team that you look at and say, "Well, we're 29 games in and we're never going to fix this. It's just it is what it is. Um, Purdue's been pretty good in just about all the areas you need to be. I mean, top 10 all year in adjusted offensive efficiency." top 20 most of the season and adjusted defensive efficiency. Purdue's done a lot of things well. It's just a matter of now doing things a little bit better uh, here down the stretch. Again, now that the, the calendar is about to turn to March, you, you need to you need to be better in all aspects of your game. So, yeah, I don't think any red flags. Again, if there was if there was one glaring thing that you, again, you saw, you saw and you were like, man, it, it, we just can't fix this. There's, there's nothing we can do about it. Then you'd probably be really concerned, but I think Purdue's in pretty good shape. They just need to, number one, get a little bit more confidence. I think that's probably the one thing this club's lacking right now. Purdue did not have a great February. I mean, played seven games, only won three of them. So I think this club, what this club needs right now is uh, maybe a couple couple back-to-back victories to get their confidence back up and, and, and have a good feeling about yourself as you go into the month of March. I think Brandon Newman needs a little bit more of an offensive opportunity with the ones in this case. Um, oh, I don't know. I mean, he's, gosh, he's so good in his role off the bench. Yeah. Um, that does take away from it. I mean, that's, that's a great point you make. I, I had mentioned that in a game like that, because I mean, he was in there most of the time. It's not like that he had to start to put up the, you know, the eight points or whatever that he did. I just was kind of curious his clock time and, you know, running with the, the main ones, but it probably doesn't matter at this point. You're probably right. Yeah. And I, and Matt's talked about this a lot. You, you know, one of the 
one of the things with guys coming off the bench you look for is can you have a, a uh, an offensive spark yeah. off the bench because there are times you need that and he can definitely provide that. Um, so if you put him in the starting lineup, that probably means you're bringing Ethan Morton off the bench. Who, while he's a fine defensive player, uh, is not much of a scoring threat. So I, 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 quite frankly, I personally like Brandon coming off the bench. Makes sense. You got the coach's show tonight? No, it's over. Is Can you it? Believe it. Wait a minute. You got two regular season games remaining. Who allowed that? I know. I don't schedule them, man. But I'm, uh, truth be told, I'm not real upset about that fact because uh, I've been giving up my Monday nights for the last however many weeks in a row. So I'm happy to have a Monday night off, actually. I bet Matt Matt's very unhappy about this, right? Oh, so. well, I'm sure he's really upset. <laughs> we, we laughed on Wednesday because he blamed you for the, the, the turnover jinx. Oh. So I was going to say something about the rebounding and offensive rebounding jinx next time. So I'm such an idiot. I mentioned after that Penn State games, only seven turnovers. And so I I know I was really, you know, I really thought I was a real smart guy. (laughs) And it, it was all downhill from there, man. That's for sure. Oh, that's always good. All right, Rob, I appreciate you. Get a Monday of relaxation up in the Whitestown, Zionsville area. I'm just not allowed to say it that way. (laughs) <laughs> no. See, now I'm mad at you. All right, brother. Stay in touch, all right? Great to hear from you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Kansas brings us back because our next guest, the morning show co-host of the Kevin and Query morning show, 7 until 10 a.m. Weekday mornings right here on The Fan. Jake Query was at Allen Fieldhouse. So I guess you were in the fog, you and Shannon, on Saturday afternoon, correct? That is correct. Pay heed. All who, all who enter, beware of the fog. That's what the huge sign says when you walk into Allen Fieldhouse, which... You know, I've been there a couple of times to cover games, I guess, since the very brief time that I was a student there. It doesn't look any different than it did any of those times because it's a lot like Hinkle. It's a historic venue that's relatively unchanged, which I guess is part of its charm. And uh, I would take a pretty tough plate. You know, it's funny, John, when late in the game, because it was an afternoon game, and we left. It, it went down to the wire, actually. But we left with a couple of minutes to go in the game just to kind of beat the traffic since we had, obviously, a long drive back. And I wanted to be in the car in time for the J&B takeover. Yeah. So um, the, they commented on the radio, you know, the sunbeams are starting to peek their way through the, the windows here at Allen Fieldhouse. And I'm like, yeah, it's just like Hinkle. The exact same thing. I hate Kansas. I don't know why I always have, but I do. That's weird. Uh, I don't. I, I can certainly understand that. I you know, do. it's interesting. When I was in high school, John, I, I was a diehard IU fan. I mean, I grew up, you know, in the Bob Knight era. I was a diehard Indiana fan. And quite frankly, academically, I didn't have the grades to get into IU. There's no way I would have gotten into IU out of high school. So um, I did get accepted to Kansas. So I thought to myself, well, it'll be like going to IU. But it's just, you know, it's a basketball school and it's similar to IU. And I went there, and I was, you know, I wanted so badly, I think, to be at Indiana that I really didn't give it a fair shake. So I didn't, I hated it too, to be honest with you. I hated Kansas. I hated being there. Um, and it was a long road for me to come back from just kind of that letdown and that smack of reality for me. 
And so that was the first time, you know, after 30 years, I basically was sitting there and I just said to Shannon, like, you know what, let's just go back and, and make it a good experience instead of the one that I've always had, which was kind of at my own fault, a bad experience. So we had a great time. It was good. Um, and I remember when I was there as a student, everybody was like, if IU's so great, why didn't you go there? And I'm like, because IU wouldn't let me in, but your school did. What's that tell you? <laughs> I just, I hate it from a basketball standpoint. Not, I, no, the, I the state. totally get it. Um, who's uh, the most hated player that you've ever watched from Kansas? Who do you dislike the most? Boy, Outside of Kevin Pritchard. No, I'm just joking. No. There are a lot of them. Rex Walton. You know, any of those. In 93, right when I had transferred back to Indiana, and I was waiting to go to Bloomington, and Indiana's team was so good in 93. I mean, that was nice last great hurrah. Yeah. And they lost. I went to the game um, at the RCA Dome. I watched them lose to Kansas. And then, of course, Allen Henderson got hurt, and they lost to Kansas in the regional finals. And – Man, Alonzo Jameson, Adonis Jordan, Rex Walters, pick any of them. Actually, I take that back. Eric Pauly would be my least favorite. Oh, team. Eric Pauly. That's a good one was, right there. He was like a 6'10 Eddie Munster. Drove me crazy. <laughs> Eric Pauly, yeah. I wasn't a fan of Scott Pollard when he played at Kansas, but then obviously now, you know, knowing him, he's a good dude, I, you know, and he was he was a fun player in the NBA. But He just got swallowed up in the friend. suck that was Kansas right there. Yeah, I mean, man, they had a lot. That's of still his fault for choosing that crap, though. It's still on I him. Think Kansas, Kansas has to lead the nation in most punchable face players, right? Well, not Duke. <laughs> Duke would Grayson Allen. I mean, Duke. Duke would have a lot of guys. In yeah, place. I'm sorry, Duke. Would, Duke. Would, I think Duke might win that with like the combination of uh, what do you think here, uh, Cherokee Parks and uh, and Grayson Allen alone. They might I mean, win that. Leitner? Are you kidding me, Christian Leitner? You know what's funny? One, when Leitner right? when Leitner was coming out of high school, his first couple of years, I I really liked him because I I liked I actually liked there was a shelf life for liking Duke when they were that cute little story and going to the Final Four in '86. There was a shelf life for that that ran out obviously in the early '90s. Here, no, you're right, but I mean even Duke. I mean Mark Allery. Uh, I mean, you know, and another guy that I didn't like. I mean that was unlikable but then i covered him when he was the coach at missouri and really got along with him well was quinn snyder who's now with the atlanta hawks obviously just got that gig or at least i think finalized that gig but um a lot of them you know the one thing about kansas and this is what makes indiana and purdue special i have a great respect how can you not for kansas they've won six national championships four of them in the ncaa tournament they are the winningest program in college basketball history they've had great players but none of them are from Kansas. I mean, yeah, Danny Manning went to Lawrence High School as a senior, okay, because they gave his dad an assistant coaching job. But I mean, you got to respect it. But there is something to be said for you know, in the day, most kids that played for Indiana were from the Indiana area. Not all, obviously. Most kids that played for Kentucky were from like the state of Kentucky or the area itself. There was something to be said for that. And for Kansas, I mean, I'll give them credit that. They managed to get players to go there. But now, of course, with an IL and Adidas money and all that, you understand why. I mean, it's a marquee, marquee program. But it was a great environment. There's no doubt it was a great environment. Um, you know, it's good to go back. I went and had a beer at Bullwinkle's, and, and, which is different than the Bullwinkle's in Bloomington, I can assure you. And it was cool. It was a fun time. Jay Query's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I'm glad you guys listened to me all the way home, too.
the whole the entire way. That's you well played done. ACDC for a while. I mean, at one point, I thought you were just doing back in black and, <laughs> and got some beat. There was a, back there in was black ACDC than yeah. a Duracell factory, but it was cool. I mean, it was fun, man. I, I'm telling you, we we listened. Um, literally, as my tires touched I-70 leaving Lawrence until you, you were just starting. Actually, I take it back. You were starting out right as I was passing Arrowhead and the Truman Sports Complex in Kansas City, and you signed off literally as I saw the sign for Indiana State University Terre Haute, which was stunning. It was what, cool. What song were you asking me about? It's a long way. What is a rock and roll? Um, that, that's it. Yeah, that's I, I what. I remember the ACDC yeah. song that has the yeah. bagpipes. Made to the top. If yeah, that's what I was, the seventies ACDC with Bon Scott. Probably most noted. It was in uh, uh, featured in School of Rock with Jack Black. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I got into a huge uh, a huge debate, not debate, but discussion on which band is more. Which is the more iconic band, ACDC or Grateful Dead? And I think I undersold ACDC because I'm like, no, it's going to be the Grateful Dead. They've sold like, you know, they've done, they did however many shows over the course of the years and for 35 years or whatever. And I think I did the Twitter poll on it and I think ACDC won. ACDC, when you really look at their, their list of songs, then you realize, I mean, pretty powerful band this is going to sound incredibly lame but the whole grateful dead stuff is more of a culture acdc uh, is a a rock band a rock no, band yeah accurate. and that's that saying, and, no no I and I, I especially around here i don't think there's any doubt unless you're you I know mean, getting brent halverson or friends of brent halverson right there uh, who loves the grateful dead around here in this state i bet you if you were taking a poll if we put that into the next election and took a poll on everybody's favorite rock band. I bet ACDC would win out in this state. I would ag- no, I would agree with that part. Now, don't get me wrong. To me, I mean, Grateful Dead is the Grayson Allen of bands. I mean, I just I don't get it. Right? I I, I mean, my my cousin's a Deadhead. I, I'm like, uh, okay. I mean, if you want to go eat grilled cheese and watch Dancing Teddy Bears, have that. I, I I don't get it. But but you're right. That culture, though, is iconic. I mean, it, you know, they got the logo, they got the tie dyes, they got, you, you know, I mean, Shakedown Street, the whole deal. I, I mean, all of it is iconic, and all of it is part of. I don't necessarily get it, but if people want to claim ACDC is better than Grateful Dead, I, I'm all for that because I don't know, man. Yeah, I, in this state, it would. Always is cool, but that's about yeah. the extent of it for me. I think in this state, I think in this state, I think in this state, it would beat Metallica out too as a, a rock band. Metallica is a rock band now, um, obviously, too. But uh, I think it would beat Metallica out. And I would take Brian Johnson over Bon Scott. A lot of people wouldn't, but I, I would right there. Hey, I had Joe Lenardi on a little bit earlier. You surprised that I use up on the four line, coming out with his fresh new brackets, and then Purdue sustains at a one? I was – did he still have Purdue as a one? Yes. That surprises me a little bit. I, I, I thought – Indiana doesn't surprise me because when the NCAA released their preliminaries, I think they had Indiana as a four, did they not? It's like the end of the four, and, you know, they just beat a team. Yeah. Listen, Indiana fans don't want to hear this, but the better Purdue finishes out here, the better it is for Indiana seeding because they beat them twice. So that helps them. I mean, the strength of Purdue, the challenge for Purdue is this, John. Purdue's resume is built on – 
how dominant they were early and the great wins they accumulated before people started figuring out kind of how to guard their guards and letting Zach Eady do his thing. And Purdue's going to have to make some adjustments on that, I think, because people now, you know, the book's kind of out on them. I think they're really, really good. Don't get me wrong. But I think they're a little – they have a little bit more light cracking through than they did a month ago. In Indiana's case, you know, you and I talked about this. I mean, when you factor in Jalen hood Shafino now – and he's not going to play like he did in West Lafayette every single game. Don't get me wrong. But he certainly has figured out – he can get his shots, and he's figured out how to get his mid-range game going. And then you factor in, you know, for teams, and you saw what happened with Purdue. I mean, they they, they double down on Trace Jackson Davis. It opens up that mid-range game for Jalen hood Shafino. Of course, if you pop out and you try to then reverse over to Jalen hood Shafino, then you've got Trace Jackson Davis open. I mean, that's a, that's a really dangerous one-two combo for Indiana. And then when you've got and, – and one of the more underrated aspects of Indiana's season, I think – is how Trey Galloway has found his shot and somehow become this really dangerous three-point shooter that you have to respect defensively. So Indiana's got some versatility to their offensive game that I think Purdue has started to to have slipped through their fingers a little bit. And that's the difference between the two. That's not to say right now that, that, you know, Indiana is – I mean, they're in a good position, but Indiana also has the capability of some letdown games as we've seen in the last month. So both teams are very intriguing – little surprising to me. It surprised me, and I think it says a lot about Indiana and their reputation, that Purdue losing at home to Indiana didn't lose anything in the AP rankings. I mean, they stayed at five, which surprised me. So Jay Query, the morning show, Kevin and Query on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You mentioned Trey Galloway. He's going to join the show coming up on Thursday. Both ends, he played as fast as he could, stayed in control. You know, obviously knocking down shots is key. We'll start with that. But his defense, he was right up on Braden Smith most of the time. And I just, I love what he gives you energy-wise on both ends. And then to stay in control, that is maybe the biggest key for him to play at basketball consistently at that level, which clearly, as we saw on Saturday night, IU needs. Here's what he does to me that's impressive. And I, I don't think anybody would would tell you that Trey Galloway is one of Indiana's, you know, two or three best players, obviously. I mean, when you've got Jalen Huchipino and Trace Jackson Davis, that's not even a slight. But look at the game against Purdue when they got down early. And as Indiana started to, you know, they, they did a nice job. Huchipino started getting in rhythm. And they were able to kind of stop the bleeding when they got down like six or nine early and keep it around there and then cut it down going into the half to four. But when you really look at when Indiana has made runs or gotten life, usually not, it is Trey Galloway is the player. Not that's the, not that is the guy that they go to, to, to bounce back into games, but it's usually catapulted by something he does. A loose ball tap, a quick steal leading into a transition, a key three-pointer. I'm not saying that he's the guy that Indiana goes to in the well over and over, but he's the guy that brings the bucket originally and and gets things kind of going out of the well for them. He's been a very important player, I think, and I know that it's a a total stereotype and a total – stereotype's the wrong word. I guess generic phrasing to say like, well, he's the dirty work guy that doesn't show up in the the box score. But, John, you know it. I mean, there is an element of that with him. 
and the fact that he just does little things, one or two plays, one or two plays a game that are really good plays for them. And he's been a, a, a key player for them. You know, if you go back to the Pacers, right before he got hurt, when he started playing a lot, Edmund Sumner was a guy that the Pacers really liked because nobody ever was going to pretend that Edmund Sumner was a franchise player. But when the Pacers put him in the game, he would usually, from an energy standpoint, do something in the first minute or two to make the extra step and get a play for them. And that's what Trey Galloway's been able to do to Indiana to kind of jumpstart them in games where they've made a run. I thought, and I know you're a big-time past IU guy, I thought that that was the best an IU team had played in a game in the past eight years or so. Do you agree? I think that's fair. In particular because, and I think the thing about that game, Trace Jackson Davis talked about it afterwards, um, and, you know, like I talked to Leary, and Leary pointed this out. He's like, Jake, you have no idea what this means for leadership that this took place. When, and Trace Jackson Davis commented on it earlier, or I mean, after the game, and we played it earlier this morning on the show. When Mike Woodson, when they went to a timeout and Woodson said, look, we we got to get Trace going. Like, we're, let's come up with a couple of plays here. Maybe it was at halftime when he said it. And Trace Jackson Davis said, no, man, this guy's, he's cooking right now. So let's just keep drawing up plays for Jalen Hudspino. And Woodson said, okay, we can do that. I think the leadership from both of those guys in that situation shows about an offensive balance and a chemistry and camaraderie for Indiana that we haven't seen in some time. And the other thing, without saying any names, I think if you look at Indiana over the last 10 years or so, when they've had really good teams, They've always had one guy that was kind of going rogue and really looking to, you know, Thomas Bryant was a really, really, so I am going to name a name here. Thomas Bryant was a really good player at Indiana. And in the last year he was at Indiana, he hung around the three-point circle the whole time because he wanted to showcase that he could shoot from the outside for his NBA stock, which served him well. He's been a good NBA player. Ironically enough, his most famous photo is him posting up on the low block when LeBron's getting ready to shoot a shot to set a record. But, you know, they have had guys, and I'm not saying maliciously or that makes them bad players, but I think Indiana over the last 10 years has had guys that have kind of trying to like keep one eye on what was next after their career at Indiana. And Trace Jackson Davis is a wonderful talent and a great player who doesn't seem to have that in mind. He wants to help Indiana win. And when it came down to it, he said to Mike Woodson, no, here's what is going to help us win. Let's give the ball to the freshman and let's keep going to him. And I think that speaks volumes. And to your point, John, I think that's something we haven't seen out of Indiana for quite some time. So, Jay Query, the morning show, Kevin and Query on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. So are you guys down there Wednesday through Friday at the Combine? We are. We are at the Combine Wednesday through Friday. Um, we've kind of been jostling around the different schedules of when we're going to have people on. Um I know that, for example, tomorrow we're going to talk to Jeff Foster, who's the organizer for the Combine. Norv Turner is going to talk to us, who was the first guy uh, to hire Shane Steichen at the NFL level. We're going to talk to Shane Steichen one of the days. And then Nick Seriati, I think we're also going to talk to. So um, Ryan Grigson might come by and join us to talk about what goes into the Combine. So we got a, a bunch of different people that are kind of floating around, but it's going to be an active three days for us. For well, sure. I'm going to be listening to that Ryan Grigson conversation. I can't wait. That's right. I've got um, 
first thing I'm going to ask him is like what restaurant he wants to go back to. And he's then he's I think he's a big restaurant guy, right? He likes likes different restaurants. Oh, is he? But yeah, we're, oh yeah, I, he loves wings. I know that he likes KSR's wings. Um, I actually ran into him last year at the combine at Patatou. He was eating there, so. Um, I think there are certain aspects of Indianapolis that he misses, to be honest with you. And that's probably one of the things we'll ask about him. You know, ask, ask him when we're talking to him. Are you guys live? You're live down there, right? Every day? Correct. Is there a lot Correct. going on when you guys are down there from 7 until 10? It's a really good question. More than you'd think, John. I mean, so we get down there. They actually have like a radio row now for the combine. And the other teams all have like their digital media, you know, their kind of their Lara's and, and Matt Taylor's and that kind of thing that are down there getting content for the team websites and that kind of thing. And then there are some radio stations that are there. Kansas City, I think, had a station there last year. Um, last year, we were seated next to the Miami Dolphins, and their guy was there at like 7 a.m. every morning, like up and at them, right? Um, and the Lions were near us. The Giants were near us. So it was. it's mostly the team, like media for the team itself. Uh, the running joke, of course, was the Raiders had two guys that got there at like 10.30 every morning and looked like they'd been out until 9.30 in the morning. Um, but, yeah, there are, there are people down there covering it. And then we are usually like 100 yards away from the bench press exhibit where they have like little bleachers set up and people can watch the bench press. And every team that does a bench press, they have like a guy, usually it's like a five foot ten you know, 265-pound guy that's like 4% body fat that's jumping up and down and screaming and, like, sweating gravy, yelling at guys to do more bench pressing. We're within earshot of that. It's a trip, man. I mean, it's it's an experience. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I think the only reason I'm going is because Chris Ballard is coming on on Wednesday. I think otherwise, because there's not a lot going on in yeah, the afternoon. Yeah, a lot of it's kind of packed up by the time you yeah. get down there, right? Yeah, it's just kind of me and some people cleaning up, and that's about it, yeah. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah. Well, it's not. And believe me, it's not. So, it is not. I will say in the convention center, though, it's better. When it used to be in Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, before they really turned it out, that's when people used to open up the doors and the wind would blow in and just blow stuff everywhere. Um, At the time, because you were right there in the concourse of Lucas Oil Stadium on the capital, the capital side, right there. And that was much different than it is right now. I kind of like it better than it is right now. It was more interesting because everybody walked right by you in that confined space back then. But now it's a little bit more wide open and and more conducive, I think, to to having more radio broadcast and a lot more coverage, which is exactly what they want. What's fascinating to me, by the way, Shane Steichen will join us on Friday. Friday. Shane Steichen will join us on Friday morning. So you got Ballard Wednesday. Yes. You got Steichen Friday. And then... Other other people that can talk about maybe the cold situation and just what all goes on at the combine between our two shows, you know, throughout. I, one of the things to me that's fascinating about the combine was you and I are both old enough to remember that there was a time where the NFL combine would come to town, and it was top secret, CIA, FBI, like Area Fifty One level secrecy. No one was allowed in. No one would talk about what took place in there. It was super important and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then, and that's all we heard about was how, you know, oh, this is, I mean, this is the, the big, you know, everything takes place at the combine. And then they figured out they could monetize it. 
and they started kind of opening it up. And as more and more, as people got more, the first year, if you recall, probably 10 years ago, they gave away like a thousand passes for, for fans to go in. And then once people started getting more of a glimpse and they started putting it on NFL Network, then they started saying, well, it's really not that important. I, you know, it, it's the pro days is where we learn stuff. And it's like, wait a minute. When, when no one else could get in there, all we heard about was how critically important it is. And now that we can see it, we're told, eh, you know, it's actually like the third most important thing. <laughs> but, but I do think that it's where, you know, look, there, there's, there are levels of importance to it, obviously, and, and – Somebody made this point to me, which I think is a fantastic point. You know, the Colts took five weeks or whatever it was of multiple interviews and 15-hour visitations before selecting a head coach. But before they select a quarterback, they get to interview him for 15 minutes. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's a pretty darn good point. Although I, I, I would hazard a guess there's more that goes into just the combine itself in terms of those those meetings. But you know, back to when Ryan Leaf, if you remember when Ryan Leaf at the Combine didn't meet with the Colts, he skipped. There was some dis- discrepancy or some debate over whether yeah. he intentionally did it, had the wrong time, et cetera. I mean, good Lord, thank goodness that happened. Um, so it is fascinating, and it is – I know fans love it. And, you know, I appreciate that they allow us to go in there, and it's kind of fun to get out of studio and and just kind of be away and you know it's like a field trip for three days for us i guess so in that regard it's pretty yeah, and see it's weird for me because i know you guys don't get out as much as i do and i love getting out i just don't this was um this has probably over the years been more of a pain in my ass than anything else and not because i have to be there just with the circumstances whether it's uh any any level of adam Schefter interview and the outcome of those the best however this is back when i was at both of our former station uh, WNDE and the fan had the rights of the Colts and they would not allow me inside Lucas Oil Stadium so I did my show from the Hyatt right basically under the escalator there at the Hyatt and Bill Polian walked by I had a friend of mine named Kevin Kuntz uh, and and Doug Wigan who were wrangling guests for him they just had a day off and they were wrangling guests and they brought Bill Polian over and Bill Polian sat down and this is probably heck I don't know oh maybe oh seven something like that um, and then Kevin Kuntz saw Dan Rooney you know the the Steelers chair um, at the time the late Dan Rooney. And he had Dan Rooney, and Dan Rooney was walking over, and Dan Rooney saw Bill Poley and, and quote, said, oh, Bill's sitting there. There's not going to be enough time to talk, so, hell, I might as well leave. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that stuff, I need need that on the air. I need that as a soundbite on the air. Don't don't waste that. I'll tell you my – my one combine tale that I've told many times, but it's my, I still have kind of yeah. a PTSD from it. When I was working at Channel 6, so around that same time frame, you know, we couldn't get in or whatever. You know, the, the deal was we would always go down and just find some coaches walking around and get a quick soundbite from them about what it meant to be an indie for the combine, you know, just to say, hey, the combine's here. So I go down. I know I've told you this story probably 20 times, but. Otis Jones, who was a photographer at Channel 6, and I go down, and we're just looking for any NFL dignitary to get a quick soundbite from them. And we go in the convention center, and there was nobody around, and you know, we couldn't find anybody. We're totally striking out. And I said, well, hey, I'm going to go ahead and hit the bathroom real quick. So I go in the men's restroom at the convention center, and there is somebody in the stall, and they are like – I mean, I'm feeling bad for them. Because Having a baby have- in there? Is that what they're doing? 
<laughs> they are at war, right? And I'm like, oh boy, this is really awkward. <laughs> so I, I use the, the urinal and I wash yeah. my hands and, I'm, and, I, and I hear the <laughs> and the door to the stall opens and Jerry Jones comes walking out, adjusting his fly and whatever, looks right at me and he pulls a he pulls a poppy from Seinfeld. He just looks at me and goes, "How we doing?" And walks right out. Does not just bypasses right. No, he does, he doesn't. He doesn't go to the sink, huh? Does not go to the sink, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> so, and I'm a bit of a germ phobe in that regard. But whatever, right? To each his own. So, I wash my hands, and I'm walking out, and I'm looking for Otis, and Otis is standing talking to Jerry Jones, and says, "Hey, Jake, I found somebody that we can interview real quick. We'll talk to Jerry Jones." And I go, oh, uh, okay. So I grab the microphone, and Jerry Jones reaches his hand out. And goes, oh, yeah. how you doing? It's nice to meet you. You got to do it though. You got to do it, don't you? I did. You, I you never, didn't. Uh, you didn't shake him off, did you? You had. No, to, you kind of have I, to do it. I shook hands with them, and the entire time I was interviewing them, all I could think about was, I mean, I was like, I can't wait to get my hand in, like inside, like a, a vat of bleach. But yes, we did the interview, and he was super nice. He was super nice, but he obviously had a rough lunch. So Jake Quay with us. Final thing is Fran McCaffrey in a staring contest um, about as intimidating as a sophomore biology teacher. (laughs) Fran McCaffrey (laughs) looks. He looks diabolical. That's where that's the part where he's intimidating. He looks like I thought Saturday, Jake. It looked like that scene from Scanners. Where he's, <laughs> the veins stop popping out. <laughs> I, but I'll tell you what, they were down 10 with a minute to go, and they got some extra basketball out of it. Uh, I guess. I guess that's what you – yeah. Uh, I mean, I, listen, I thought it was funny, and I love the way the official handled it. He was like thinking, hey, old man, why don't you go over there and coach your team? What are you doing staring at me like For this? Sure. What kind of idiot are you? I, I like that part of it. You and I were talking earlier, and I didn't. You know, I think Fran McCaffrey is obviously a super intense coach. He has he goes from zero to sixty in like five seconds. But you told me that you've heard he's actually a pretty nice dude, right? Yeah, Don. Don has told me on this show before. Don Fisher has said that when he reaches out, he you know he does the coaching interviews, and and some are really good about it, and others aren't. Uh, and he's one that's really good about it. And he says when when you see him. And it's not around basketball. He's the nicest guy ever. But it's like, it's like uh, David Banner in the old Incredible Hulk. He's trying to you change a tire in a rain. Is the equivalent of him coaching a basketball game, and he he has that uh, metamorphosis, I guess, that occurs for him. Yeah. My, my, when I was a kid, and we would watch Incredible Hulk. My sister, my sister Megan, who's two years older than me. She wouldn't watch it at the end because she always like at the end with the closing credits it showed him like walking off in great forlorn as he like oh, yeah. you know he just flipped over nine more transams and now his shirt shredded and he's back to being this little lonely dude. And Megan always felt so sorry for him. I just feel so sorry for him. He doesn't have any friends. Well, he turns into a green guy that just threw like seven Volkswagen microbuses at people. What do you expect? I'll tell you, one of the great moments of this station is when Lou Ferrigno was in studio once upon a time here. The Incredible cool? Hulk. Oh, he was awesome. Awesome guy in studio. But yet, uh, the uh, the thing about um, 
David Banner, Bill Bixby, and the Incredible Hulk, he didn't have enough clothes ever with him. How do you have enough right. clothes? If you if you right. metamorphosize into the Incredible Hulk, then you're going to need more than just to change your clothes in every episode I mean, if you do that three times. Wouldn't Eventually, wouldn't you start going to like Costco and loading up on flannel shirts and jeans? Because that's all you ever wore, and he'd just right. yeah. through. I mean, he could just have a, a duffel bag with some backup. I guarantee right? he dresses like me. He just goes to Dollar General store and buys like three gray V-neck T-shirts. I'm good. Some guy was walking around in a hams t-shirt, and I made him mad. Next thing I knew, he was flipping over Camaros. <laughs> it was awesome, though. But Ferrigno was great in here, once upon a time. was is was really Ferrigno, good. Is he still with us? I believe, man. I believe that he is. Um, I hope that I'm right about that. I believe that he is, and I believe that he is. He is. 1951. Yes. What's that? 71 years old, Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Thought thought that he was right there. All right. What you guys got I, coming up was, tomorrow? When I was really little, I thought Vince Ferragamo was the quarterback of the Rams. They went to the Super Bowl in 79. And I remember being uber impressed that the same guy that played the Hulk was also the starting quarterback of the Super Bowl. You know how awesome wow. that would be? Because then you would have Hunter from that show on NBC in the 80s. He was in the secondary for the Rams, Fred Dreyer. So that'd be a hell of a team. Green hit the guy and he turned green and started <laughs> messing people up. What do you guys got yeah, going on? To, what do you guys got going on tomorrow morning? Uh, we got a busy show tomorrow morning. And, and like I talked about, we're going to talk to uh, Norm Turner is going to be cool because, and I think Kevin's really excited about it because he hired Shane Steichen in San Diego, mm-hmm. but they're you know, still the San Diego chargers and just kind of get some background on what exactly he saw in him. And then as I mentioned, Jeff Foster, not the former pacer, but the guy that organizes the combine, he's going to join us as well. So uh, we'll talk plenty about the combine, and I'm sure we'll have a little IU and Purdue discussion continue as well. Always a pleasure. We'll be listening coming up tomorrow, Jake. Appreciate you. John, appreciate it. Thanks.